Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the Johncast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I remember falling asleep in my bed in the quad at Penn, you know, absolutely exhausted with the books on my chest because, you know, I didn't get all my studying done. So there were times, certainly, I think, like a lot of guys, you feel overwhelmed, but you just keep plugging away and and keep working. And we had great support and coaching and, and teammates who helped me make it through. And our guest this week is Matt Langle. He is the head men's basketball coach at Colgate University, the premier Patriot League team going these days. He also is a University of Penn product and was a star for the Quakers during his college career. And coach, thanks so much for the time. And as we start, congratulations on the contract extension you just signed with Colgate. Uh, Thanks. It's great to be a guest. So as we're talking, we're about three, four weeks removed from the end of your season. How long does it take you to kind of decompress and kind of catalog the previous season before you look ahead to the next one? Yeah, I, I think in in entirety, it takes a long time. You're, you're constantly working on it. And at this time of the year, you're also working on so many other things, you know, trying to finalize your roster for next season to do some advanced recruiting for the, the future seasons, you know, potential staff changes. So those things that you neglect as a coach during your season. So, so many things going on that, you know, I think it's a constant process to, you know, decompress from from the previous season and and I probably don't finish it well into the summertime till we're, you know, really got our, our, our group finalized before who's coming back, you know, for the following season and uh, go from there. You've had a ton of success in recent years at Colgate, three NCAA tournament appearances uh, in the last few years. I'm curious, do they all kind of hit differently? I mean, obviously there's a pride and a celebration, but is it a different type of feeling of, of accomplishment, you know, for each one? No doubt about it. I think every team kind of goes on its own journey. And so while at some point you got to take that 35,000 foot perspective and, and view of your program as a whole, as you're you know evaluating and trying to improve and, and grow and, and protect the, the things that are good, there's no doubt that every team goes on its own journey. One of the great things about college athletics for me is that you know, you never have the same team. Some guys leave, there's new opportunities and roles for some of the guys returning. And then you always add some, some new faces, whether they're first year college players or, you know, leaving one institution and moving to another. So you're constantly trying to, you know, get the most out of that group. So in that, you know, it's the, the NCAA tournaments, the culmination of, of that journey of that they've been on for, you know, a full 12 months. And, and so each one has its its different emotions involved because there's different people involved and there's been different highs and lows and challenges that you've overcome to to get to that point. What is your basketball origin story? When did you fall in love with the sport growing up? Oh man, I I grew up in the New Jersey side of Philadelphia, and so I, I and I played a ton of sports. You know, I happen to live in a neighborhood. Uh, where a lot of professional athletes live. So, you know, Bobby Jones and Doug Collins from the 76ers, Jaworski from the the Eagles, Gary Maddox from the Philly. So I, I was always watching a lot of sports, you know, and the and the and the Philly pro teams. I would say for me, basketball probably, you know, I, I transferred from a, a Morristown Friends School, a, a small private school in, in South Jersey to the public school, Morristown High School. It was probably in my 
my sophomore season that I started honing in and spending more time on basketball than anything else to, to see where it could take me. But I've always loved all sports and I, I, I still do. I'm not just a, just a basketball junkie. You mentioned the transfer. Was there a moment when you started to realize you were good at basketball, like better than the kids around you, you're getting a little more attention. And is there an internal discussion that I might be able to take this further than most? Well, academics was always most important in my household. And so then after that, the, the charge was just always to do the try your hardest and, and do the absolute best that you can. And that was the case for any sport. I think maybe I started to gravitate, you know, when I when I switched in public schools, there were some really good players in in Burlington County at the time and in, in southern New Jersey, obviously in Philadelphia. And so, you know, as you start to compete against some of them, you, you realize that, well, maybe I could maybe there's a future after high school, potentially, you know, what, where it's going to be and how it's going to go. You don't know. So yeah, probably sometime there in, in high school, you know, and then you start to get recruited a little bit and then recruited a little bit more. And, you know, the likes of a Fran Dunphy calls and says, I'm really interested. And, and then you kind of know, well, wow, I can be, could be a division one player in the, in the big five. And, you know, it's all, it's all a cycle and a process. And so you just take it one step at a, at a time. It's never like an overwhelming, you know, realization, so to speak. Did you enjoy the recruiting process from a player standpoint? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was certainly an honor to to have college coaches call you and and to share about their program and their institution and and to learn about, you know, their teams and what their vision for you might be. I don't like the a lot of attention. That's just just my personality. So, you know, I, I'm not the type that, you know, wanted to be on the telephone for for hours that ends with, with coaches kind of talking about me. And so, you know, I, it was, it was definitely, it makes you feel good to know that, you know, people who who do this every single day want you to be a part of, of their team, of their program. But, you know, I, I also was ready for it to be over come, come November of that, that senior year. You mentioned Fran Dunphy, who was your college coach when you go to the University of Pennsylvania. Once the Quakers got involved, were they always the leader in the clubhouse for your services? Were there other places that you were looking seriously at? Yeah, I, I didn't look at it like that. I think we were just trying to gather as much information and, you know, kind of it was, you know, not quite the technology of a spreadsheet, but to kind of take notes and and think about the things that were important to me, education, opportunity, family, you know, and and then try and figure out, you know, what those different institutions that were recruiting me had to offer and how they matched up with, you know, what what was going to be most important to me. And, you know, at the end of the day, it it really, uh, there were some, some really good options, but, you know, just felt like, um, you know, Penn was the right place for me. I think in decisions like that, you know, you, you gather all the information with your head and then you kind of make the decision with your with your heart at the end of the day. How's the adjustment to college socially, academically, and basketball-wise? Uh, was it a lot, or did you feel like you were able to pretty much take it in stride? Both. I feel like I was really prepared. You know, I'd, I'd worked hard in the classroom to, to, you know, achieve a certain level academically to prepare myself for the rigors of what an Ivy League institution would and the Warden School of Business was was going to present. You know, the same with basketball. But that being said, it's like, it's like a lot of things in life. You're, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, when you got there and all of a sudden, you know, for the first time, you're not one of the very smartest people in your classroom and you're not the best player on your team. And there's guys who are a few years older who have are bigger and stronger and, 
know how hard the coach is going to be on the team. And, you know, they've been through all those things. It's a lot. I remember falling asleep in my, in my bed in the quad at Penn, you know, absolutely exhausted with, with the books on my chest because, you know, I didn't get all my studying done. And so there were times, certainly, I think like a lot of guys, you feel overwhelmed, but you just keep plugging away and and keep working. And we had great support and, and coaching and, and teammates who, who helped me make it through. From a purely basketball standpoint, what was the biggest adjustment? Because most time I talk to people when it's going from one level to another, high school, college, or college to pro, they talk about speed of the game. Was that the number one thing that you were like, oh boy, or was it just kind of everybody's a little faster, everybody's a little bigger? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, when when you're one of the best at whatever level you're at, it's easiest for you. Like that doesn't mean that you're not working as hard as everybody else. But, you know, when you get to college for me from high school, you know, unless you've been coached in, in a very small percentage of those high school coaches that, you know, are basically run college programs, there's no possessions off. And so whatever the drill is that you're doing in, in high school, you know, maybe you got your head coach has another job, whether it's guidance counselor, teacher, the assistant coach has multiple other, you know, in college, you've got a full coaching staff. That's all they're doing is thinking about how to maximize what that team can be. So, you know, the, the time that you're spending at it, you know, not only on the court, but in the weight room, off the court, in the film room, you know, in the training room, all those things, when you add them up together, that they, they accumulate to a lot. And then, you know, it, it's intense. And there's a big difference between, an 18 year old boy and a 22, 23 year old man, just physically. So, you know, you're trying to balance all those things and and figure it out. I think for me that that's always the biggest challenge. How did your game evolve during your time at Penn? Like what was Matt Langle, the player like coming in as a freshman and what was Matt Langle like once graduation day came? I don't know specifically. I mean, I think my shooting, I think all aspects of my game improved. You know, I played a lot of point guard and handled the ball in, in high school. You know, while I was, I was fortunate to have a lot of good teammates and accumulated a number of assists in college. I, I played alongside, you know, a, a legend in Mike Jordan, who, who really was point guard. You know, I, I think, so I, I developed a little bit more off the ball and, think your strength and physicality has to improve. I, you know, your defense has to improve. So I, I think just overall as a player, I'd like to think I, I added a lot to all parts of my game over those, those four years. How long did it take you to get used to the Ivy league grind? You're talking the weekends, you're talking the bus trips. What was it like adjusting to the kind of the unique Ivy league schedule and, and grind? It's a unique challenge for sure. And, but I didn't know anything else. So, you know, you don't, again, you don't know what you don't know, you know, physically the Friday, Saturday games and being on the road and the back-to-backs, you know, it's a lot, but it's a lot for your opponents too. You know, I think in some ways it allows you the rest of the week to, you know, be as normal of a student as you can be and recover, you know, compared to what I coach now, you know, we have a midweek game and a weekend game, and it, it really, you never come up for air, so to speak. You get one off day a week. And um, so I, I like that about the Ivy League that, you know, you were just playing on the weekend. And then during the week, you know, you didn't have to worry about leaving campus or or missing class or, or any of those things. You had a great career at Penn, a ton of success. If I ask you to think back to your college days and favorite memories, what are a couple of things that kind of rise to the top immediately be it games moments bus rides whatever 
Yeah. I, I mean, the first and the most important thing is the relationships. You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in coaching if it wasn't for, for coach Dumphy. I had, I had fantastic assistant coaches, you know, my teammates are a number of them are, are lifelong friends. You know, so the, the relationships are, are really the most important thing to me. Obviously the memories that you have and the experiences you have are significant. I mean, playing in the palestra, like you can't, there aren't words to explain what that means to have that place be home you know, while you're on that campus, you know, we, we had an incredible win against Temple one year. We had devastating loss against Princeton at home when we had a huge lead in a game, my junior year, I remember it like it was yesterday. And so, you know, just the highs and the lows of that emotion. And then what came, what comes from those, you know, like the year, the win against Temple kind of springboarded us to help us realize how good we are just as the same as the defeat against Princeton helped us, you know, kind of band together as a group to say, hey, we've, this is devastating and it can either ruin our season or it can make our season. You know, I think that those, those memories and experiences are, are significant, obviously being Ivy league champions and representing that whole conference in the NCAA tournament is, is something that's very, very special. What was it specifically about the palestra you loved? You have to experience it to even have an understanding the different games, the different crowds, a big five game, uh, you know, an Ivy League game, the student section, you know, as you mentioned, the history and tradition. It it was, you know, right at the end of my career that they redid the corridors to kind of, you know, make it a a museum as much as as our home court. Uh, But my favorite things, to be honest, were were being in there when nobody else was in there. You know, just having the luxury of going in there late at night or early in the morning or in between classes. And you just know so much basketball has been through that building. So many great players. And it it helps you understand and recognize that there are so many things bigger than just you as an individual and what you're trying to do. And so all of that encompass doesn't doesn't even begin to do justice for what what that building is and and what it means to so many people. What was it like to play for Fran Dunphy and what he obviously had a huge impact on your career, but from a player standpoint, what was it about him that made you a better player? What was that relationship like when you were in college? He challenges you and pushes you, you know, without you necessarily unknowing or understanding at the time helps you get the very best, you know, from yourself, recognizing all the time that everything is about the team. When you're feeling great, it's got to be about the team. And when you're not feeling so great, it's got to be about the team. He had and continues to have an uncanny ability to bring people together and, and help them accomplish great things together more so than they ever could as, uh, as individuals. You played pro ball, went overseas. Was that always something you aspired to? Or was it something as your college career is running down, you're getting attention, you really, I can do this? No, my, my approach to the game individually was just always to try and work hard. I, I love to, to be working on my game, to be, you know, challenged by players that were better than me and learn from them and, you know, figure out ways to try and try and compete at another level. So whether it was high school to, you know, trying to be a, a great player in, you know, on your from your team to your area to being a college player to again earning opportunity as a as a young player to you know again trying to establish yourself as one of the better players on your own team and then your conference and 
you know, obviously the city of Philadelphia. So all those things, my process, I just always wanted to see, like, can I keep getting better? And then what, what comes from getting better? What are the opportunities? So late in my college career, I, I, I wanted to see like, Hey, am I good enough that somebody out there somewhere would want me to continue to be able to play on their team after I was, I was done at Penn. And so it was never like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing this to be a pro. It was just like, how how much, how can I continue to improve? What was your overseas experience like? I think you, you played in four or five different countries. It's interesting. I talk to people that play overseas and there can be a wild swing of outcomes from first class organization. I wouldn't mind one day moving my family there to, I was actually worried that the locker room might burn down. And if I didn't cash the check by five o'clock, I wasn't getting paid. Were they, did you have a vast array of experiences? Were they all pretty good? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I probably not to either extreme that you just mentioned, but I, I saw all of that. And I, I would say, absolutely. It's probably like most professions out there, you know, they're, they're all careers, they're all jobs. And in that there are a variety of different experiences for different people, but it's always a job. Like for me, in my experience, it was, it was fantastic. And especially the further removed you are, the experiences that you have, the memories that you have, the places that it took you. Like I, again, I've been to, you know, cities and countries all over the world that for sure I wouldn't be to. And some of them I want to go back to, and some of them, you know, I, it's, it's not necessarily on my bucket list to, to take my children and, and visit, you know, same thing as college though, the relationships that you forge while playing the game that you love and, and being compensated for it is certainly a special thing. Is there one place, your favorite place that you got to, to play that's at the top of the list? I've spent two full seasons on the Eastern border of the Netherlands. And I, I think why that was special for me is we had a really good team and we won a lot. And I think that, you know, similar to what we're experiencing here now at Colgate, like when, when you win, the, everything is better. And so, you know, we had more fun, you know, the, the wives, you know, the families got along really well, the town that we were in supported the program. So you felt a part of, of something special. And, you know, so those are, are definitely some memories that I have from that team and those people and, and, and those experiences. Was the game different depending on where you were? And when I say that, I mean like the style, the what was looked for in a player, you know, did one style translate well, you know, in this country, but then you went over here and they played a different type of basketball and it was a tougher adjustment. Or if you could shoot, you could shoot anywhere and you're going to figure it out. I mean, I think shooting always translates, but the game is always changing too. And so, you know, I think depending on the year, shoot, look like, you know, look how much the NBA has, has changed. And, you know, in large part that, you know, the NBA has adopted, you know, so much of what was European basketball. Some countries are more physical, kind of similar to some conferences in the NCAA are, are, are more physical or more athletic or more, you know, shooting base. So, yeah, I mean, depending on where you are and where the coaches are from and, you know, how they've learned, I think, you know, kind of dictates, you know, style of play, but I wouldn't say it was, it was really drastic in my experience from, you know, say Germany to the Netherlands, or, you know, when we played international competition, a, a team from Spain compared to a, a team from Montenegro. Time for a break on one-on-one. -on -one. We will have more with former University of Pennsylvania basketball standout and current Colgate University men's basketball coach, Matt Langle, right after this. 
And we are back. Our guest this week is Colgate University men's basketball coach Matt Langle, who played his college ball at the University of Pennsylvania. I think if I read correctly, you got a shot in the Sixers Summer League in one year. I think it was 2001. What was that experience like? Yeah, I, n- I never made it all the way to Summer League. So I was um, out, out of college. It was then the Seattle Supersonics became the Oklahoma City Thunder, invited me to rookie free agent camp for a little bit before Summer League. I wasn't good enough to, for them to keep me very long. Uh, I went overseas that next year. And then, you know, I think the Sixers have always done a really nice job of inviting back some local guys to work out and be a part of their summer workouts. Typically teams, at least then, you know, would bring back a, a, maybe a few more guys than would make the summer league roster. So I never did play in a summer league game, but those just being in the gym with Larry Brown, you know, I remember it and, and we'll always remember it just, you know, to as a as a little kid growing up watching, you know, and dreaming of those opportunities, uh, significant for sure in your life. Was coaching always something you figured you were eventually going to pursue at one level or another? Definitely not. Definitely not. I think that while I was overseas playing, you realize, you know, everybody always says the ball is going to stop bouncing sometime. But, you know, and, you know, when you're when you're playing at least for me, I realized just this isn't going to last forever. And, you know, it's probably, you know, one, two, three, five years before it's going to end. And then what am I going to do? I grew up in a household where my parents loved what they did every day. And so I wanted to make sure that that was going to be part of my career and my livelihood. Basketball had always been that for me. You know, the it was never a sacrifice. Everybody always says you have to sacrifice so much to know achieve it was sacrifice because I enjoyed being in the gym I enjoyed the process of trying to improve and the ups and the downs and in that I talked a lot to coach Dunphy and you know coaching is kind of the second is the closest thing you can do to being a player there was a chance to to join his staff at the time and those teams had a lot of success so it, it led to continued opportunity for me and that kind of the rest is is history how was getting used to coaching those first years as an assistant with coach dump. Yeah, really hard, really hard. I mean, again, when you're a player, you think you have the hardest job on earth because, you know, you're pouring everything you have into it. But when you're a coach, you know, you're, you're not playing for those two hours of practice. You're standing there. And as corny as it sounds, standing is sometimes harder than playing when you haven't done it ever in your life. And so, you know, the recruiting and the travel and, you know, summer recruiting when, you know, you want to be first one in the gym at seven o'clock in the morning and you're trying to, you know, identify every, every talented player and evaluate everybody you can. And you're in the gym till midnight and you're hopping on a plane or driving your car. It's, you know, it's a different type of exhaustion that you've ever experienced in your life because, you know, as a player, you can only really spend, X number of hours a day training and working and, and what have you. And then the rest, you got to do something else. So yeah, it was a, it was a big adjustment for me to, to learn what it was to be a good coach and how much you have to be there for your student athletes. But again, I had about as good a guidance and mentor as, as one could have. So really, really fortunate for that. At the beginning of your career, when you're still very close to your playing days, was it difficult not kind of thinking boy you know I wonder you know if I could give it another shot was there still an itch or were you at a point where playing's done I'm at peace with it this is the focus now yeah so again coach Dumpty was incredible it it was it was hard to say man is this going to be the end Um, but coach 
the way he said it to me was if there's a chance to come play, cause it kind of, it kind of happened abruptly. I thought I was going to go back overseas in August and the job fell through in the last second. And next thing you know, I, I decided to join his staff. He, he kind of said, this doesn't, if you need to leave at some point, if there's a job and something good comes up for you to continue to play, don't, don't hesitate and feel like you're going to be leaving me high and dry. I think that just speaks to who he is. And nothing happened. And so I think it was it was helpful for me that I had been gone long enough that I didn't play with any of those guys who I was then coaching at Penn. But I was still a good enough player to be able to get on the court and work with them and, and help them realize all the things that you need to do to be a good player. And so I, I think at that point in my career, it was really helpful those first few years that I was still ready to be a player, but I wasn't anymore. How long did it take you to find your pace in coaching to adjust to that grind, to know how the recruiting schedule works, to know what it takes to get a kid from high school into Penn or eventually into Temple and have them be the type of player that fits the system. Yeah, I don't know if you ever if you ever fully adjust to to what that is. I think that, you know, when you're the the way that my mind works, I I, I never want to be outworked. But in this profession, there's the reality is in, in whatever part of the job that you're doing, there's always somebody out there who's spending more time at that. Like when it comes to recruiting, there's always a coach out there who is recruiting for more time in the day than you are. Or if it's, you know, player development or X's and O's, whatever it is, there's always somebody out there. Now they might not be doing all the different parts, but there's always somebody somewhere doing more. So, you know, basically you're you're always trying to adjust and figure out, you know, where do I need to be spending my time with for you, what is the the right you know, work-life balance because you can't be successful at your job long-term if you're spending every waking minute at your job. Once you become an assistant and on staff for Fran Dunphy, did you see a little bit of a different side of him? You know, you'd always had the player-coach relationship, but now you're on staff with him. Did you start looking at him differently? Did you start seeing him in different lights? Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, yeah, you start to, you, you always wonder as a player, like, what's the, what, what's the, why is he doing that? Like, what's the, what's the method behind the madness? Why is he acting this way this day? Why does he, you know, doing this drill? Why, why is the practice going in this direction? And then as a coach, you kind of like see behind the scenes of all the things that are going into, you know, the reasons for the decisions that he's making. And so, you know, he's still, even to this day, I, I mean, he's my coach. So like, there's, there's always that I look up to him. I admire him. I in part want to do well so that he's, he's proud of the work that you're doing. And he, he establishes that relationship, but then, you know, he always would say, Hey, once you graduate, you know, then our friendship begins. And so, you know, in addition to being a mentor and being my coach, you know, he's also become, you know, a lifelong friend and somebody who I'm I'm thankful is is so significant to my family. So you're an assistant with him at Penn and then at Temple for several years. But is there a moment when you start to think like, I feel like I'm ready. If the right opportunity comes along, I would feel comfortable taking that step. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's probably not one moment. Same as your question before about like being a player. My approach was just, hey, I'm going to work as hard as I can to be the very best coach I can be in Coach Dumphy's system, so to speak. He he allows you to do whatever it is that you want to do. So you know, he doesn't silo you. He ne- he didn't silo me, I should say. 
And I don't think he's ever siloed anybody say, Hey, you you just worry about the offense or you just worry about defense or, you know, you're the recruiter on this staff. You know, he really allowed you to to take on anything and, and learn all aspects of coaching and, you know, so in doing that, the, the goal was always to continue to improve and grow. And, you know, at, at some point, I don't know, it's probably in large part because of the success that those teams had. I mean, two years at Penn, two Ivy League championships, you know, we didn't win a championship in year one at Temple, but we did in each of the next four years. So, you know, along those lines, you know, that where the team is having so much success, the players were doing so well, you know, that you start to start to think like, hey, maybe maybe somebody somewhere because of, you know, the successes that this group is having, you know, will want to talk to me and, and consider me for for a position. How did the Colgate opportunity come along in 2011? What kind of opened the door? Yeah, they had just made a decision to make a change in their their coach. And, um, you know, there was an opportunity. My brother's class of 2004, so I knew the institution a little bit. You know, I expressed interest, you know, go through the process of, you know, applying and 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 having conversations and interviewing and, and my my academic background of of being a student athlete and in the Ivy League was, you know, made a little bit of sense for what this is institution is academically, the type of young people that you have to recruit and coach on a day-to-day basis. And so, yeah, Dave Roach was the athletics director at the time and and he took a chance on a young head coach and I'll forever be grateful to him for, for doing that. You talked about how, you know, Coach Dumphy didn't silo you off, but I would imagine there are things that come on a head coach's desk that you really can't anticipate until it it happens were there moments like that the first year or two the first year the 11th year I'm going into my 12th year the the fifth year like every single day I think the best way to describe it for me is as a head coach every single decision whether you're making it or you're empowering someone else to make it you know the decisions your student athletes make every single uh, the magnitude of each decision is significant. And so just knowing that, you know, all of those things are basically reflective of you, affect you, involve you, and then how you're going to go about managing that and handling that is is significant. And until <laughs> till you're in that position, you don't you don't know what that feeling is like. Do you remember your first game as a head coach? Uh yeah, a little bit. We we won at Binghamton. You know, I, I think that it was two teams that weren't great. You know, we just happened to be a little bit better that that night than than they did. But I I was so nervous and had no clue what to do. And so, yeah, I definitely I definitely remember it. How long till you found your rhythm with, you know, being a head coach and what's expected and and being comfortable delegating and things like that? We're still always trying to evolve and grow. Obviously, you know, when you're when you're a first time head coach, you also have you know, the first time that each of your assistant coaches and your director of like first time for everything. So, you know, while you're trying to learn one another and figure out how you're going to coach and how you're going to play and how you're going to plan a practice and what you're going to emphasize to your student athletes, you're also trying to get to know the administrators and, you know, who you work with on, you know, in, in admissions and advancement and different constituents all across campus. You're trying to learn about, you know, career services and how to help your student, like just everything. So that just takes time. I, I can't recall say, oh, after year two or after, you know, a hundred days, it, it's just a process and a journey that, you know, after you've, you've been doing it for a while, those relationships 
partnerships are stronger and and for us it, it's it's continued to grow and develop and into in a good way so you years at Colgate the first few years there's improvement but there's really like a jump I guess the 17-18 season you win 19 games you finish second in the conference and then programs kind of come to a next level with three NCAA tournament appearances what kind of led to that taking that step to the next level yeah. So, you know, again, my, my perspective, and again, I'm, I'm biased and I, I may be wrong in this. I, I think, you know, I, I try and reflect back. I think it was year four or five, we won 16 games and we were second place in the conference and we got upset in the semifinals at home. We were hosting the game and we had an old and experienced team, you know, the kind of the culture was in place there. And we just, we just didn't get there. We didn't make it to the championship. We didn't win the regular season. It was literally like, I think, I think if a guy from American had made a free throw at the end of the game against a guy from Bucknell, we would have been co-champions and we'd have another banner hanging from the rafters, but we didn't, you know, and then we lost a bunch of our veteran guys and we took a step backward for a couple of years. And, you know, so I say all that just to say the administration didn't blink. They stuck with us because even though the results didn't go how we wanted, they recognized that, you know, the program was was the culture that the guys were doing well in the classroom and and on the court. It was a competitive product and there was a consistency from the coaching staff. So I think there were all a, all really good things. And then after those next couple of years, it ramped back up. And, you know, we, we have been able to get over the hump. You know, we have been in five straight championships and you know, played well enough to win in four of them and won some regular season championships. And so I don't think it was one single moment for sure, but it was just, you know, those first hand couple of years, the the groundwork was being laid, the foundation, you know, and then that group cycled out and it took another group, the foundation, you know, was solid and the culture was there. And then it took another group to kind of get old. And we've, you know, we've been able to continue to, to, to be a part of that. It's been passed down a little bit and and hopefully we can keep it going. Been to the NCAA tournament as a coach and as a player, how does the experience differ? Oh yeah, it differs a lot. I mean, for me, it's all about the player. So, you know, for us, when we get there, obviously you're, you know, you're, as a coach, you're doing everything you possibly can to shine the spotlight on those, those young people and to put them in position to try and have success. You know, we I've coached in three games. There've been three competitive games, you know, where our guys, you know, played really well as a player. It's just, there's a sense like you, you, you feel like a little kid in some ways, you know, not when the ball goes up and you're playing in the game, but just the whole, the magnitude of the whole thing, you know, it's what you dreamed of as a kid was playing. And so when I go back and coach and we're in the NCAA tournament, when I was a kid, I didn't dream of coaching in the NCAA tournament. I dreamed of playing in the NCAA tournament. And so to be a part of watching young people achieve that dream is really special, but there's nothing like achieving the dream and doing it yourself. And my final question, favorite part of what you do? Oh, um, yeah, there's a few things that my favorite part is like 18 to 22 was such a formidable time of my life. And I I think is of a lot of young people's lives, what we have here in the United States to, to be able to combine study of what you choose without having it to be define your career and be able to pursue sport at a really high level. Like the, the student athlete term is not a global, global term. And so to be able to be a part of young people who are experiencing that and going through that, you know, help them achieve their potential while also being a part of a team um, and, and going through those, 
experiences and and memories that I have from my days that are going to last me a lifetime and being a part of theirs in that process that's it's not work that's you know it's not a job it's it's keeps you energized and it's really really a special thing Matt Langle thanks so much for the time this was great thanks Matt and that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Colgate University men's basketball coach Matt Langle for being our guest this week. If you like the show and you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can really help us out by leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to join us again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.